Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. It's the 20th of March, 2023. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when and where you're listening. So uh, thank you so much for including me in your day. Today is um, on this March the 20th. It's uh, my sister and brother-in-law's anniversary, so happy anniversary. Maybe this day marks um, something significant in your life as well. If you've got something to celebrate, a birthday, a rebirthday, an anniversary. Um, maybe this is the anniversary of the death of a person you dearly loved. Um, dates have particular days, like, right, what what marks this out on your calendar um, is different than what marks it out on anyone else's calendar. And so it's the 20th anniversary of um, the war in Iraq, America's war in Iraq. That's a significant date for many, many people. Um, lots going on. Uh, and so what what does today mark for you? Love it if you would share that with me on the text line today, 877-933-2484. What is, what is today on your calendar? Um, what, what marks this day in your life? 877-933-2484. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Zephaniah. 317. And you're saying to yourself, is that a real book of the Bible? Yeah, mm-hmm, it is. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. You know, the minor prophets are only minor because their books are shorter, right? So they're not, it's not that the that the prophecies are minor or less important. It's just that they said less, less is recorded. And so, you know, we talk about like the major prophets and it's because their books are so long. Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, good examples of that, Ezekiel. But then we talk about the minor prophets and um, you say to yourself, well, I don't even know the names of all the minor prophets. Mm-hmm. That's a fun exercise. And you check out the prophets in the Old Testament today. Uh, that's where you'll find Zephaniah. And in in uh, in the prophecy of Zephaniah, there is this most reassuring of verses. Like if you were wondering, what's the one verse of Zephaniah I should write on my heart? Well, this is a good one. Zephaniah 317. I'm going to read it in a couple of different translations. This is the one that is um, available today through the Growing Your Faith verse of the day at MyFaithRadio.com. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Um, Now, I know it from a slightly more lyrical version. Um, Zephaniah 317, the one written on my heart, goes like this. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord is. This verse begins with establishing the reality that the Lord is. And what is the Lord? Well, this is the Lord your God. The Lord your God is with you. 
the Lord your God. Pause right there for just a moment. The Lord is. Is the Lord your God? Have you come into a saving relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is the Lord your God? The assurance offered by the prophet Zephaniah is to those who belong to the Lord, who are God's own possession, God's own people. And this is a passage written to a people, not just to a person. And so this is not just individualistic. This is also corporate. The Lord is, and the Lord is your God. And the Lord your God is with you, living among you, dwelling with and within you, tabernacling among you. For those of us living on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we know what that means. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God doesn't just live among us. God dwells with us and within us. And this is a God who is mighty to save. Mighty warrior who does not destroy, yes, but but said differently in, in other versions, this is a God, the Lord your God, who is mighty to save. Think about that for a moment. It's one thing for the Lord to be God and the Lord to be powerful. It's another thing for him to be mighty to save. And the Lord, this Lord who loves you, he takes great delight in you. He he quiets you with his love and he rejoices over you with singing. Consider that today. God, God's not pouring out wrath upon you. He already poured out his wrath upon Jesus. God's rejoicing over you with singing. He's taking delight in you. Desires to quiet you with his love. Zephaniah 3.17, let's live into the promises of God this day. We're going to talk next with our friend Dave Buring from Lion Share. You experiencing spiritual warfare? You experiencing spiritual warfare in the workplace? Yep, if you're alive, then you are. Equipping for that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us today, our good friend Dave Baring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. I um, also want to encourage you to, to check out Lion Share's podcast, um, particularly if you're a person in leadership. It's, um, it's really great and helpful. Dave, welcome back. Well, hey, it's good to be with you. And I think today's the first day of spring. So how's that well, not a good thing? Fantastic. Amen. 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 And amen. Um, let's, um, here's a, uh, here's a joyful topic. Uh, let's talk about spiritual warfare. Um, <laughs> okay. not, not everyone even wants to like admit that it's real. You know, we would like yeah. to think that we have reasoned ourselves beyond a belief in spiritual warfare. Uh, help us understand the reality in which we're living. Yeah. You know, the Bible's very clear that there is an enemy um, who aims to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. And so whether it's somebody that doesn't know the Lord and is just living their life, he'll kind of lead you along, kind of reaffirm the things that keep you stuck, 
um, try to hinder you from getting to know God and from fulfilling the purposes for which you're even born. And as followers of Jesus, it's something we are supposed to be aware of. The Bible teaches on it. Ephesians 6 is a great place to kind of look at that. But um, spiritual warfare, when we say that, what we mean is that there is an enemy, the devil, Satan, who and his kind of demonic horde, if we want to put it that way, that is is set against Jesus. And because he's set against Jesus, he's set against us. And one of the things the devil does not like is to have Jesus glorified and to have, in other words, his name be made famous and followed by people. So he'll do everything he can to try to hinder us from being able to um, honor the Lord and what we do in our attitudes and our actions, all that stuff. And so this also includes in the workplace. I think, I think, Carmen, sometimes we think about our own lives, our families, but we don't realize he wants to even use our workplace to mess with us. Hmm. I'm thinking, um, Dave, that when we think about the workplace, there might be some, some ways that we could identify like evidence of the enemy's presence or particular ways that the enemy maybe tends to express himself in that environment. Um, can you maybe open our eyes to a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think like for me, one of the practical ways I've seen the enemy uh, go after stuff is I would use the word divide, that he'll mm-hmm. try to divide relationships. And so like, as you're listening to this, think about your workplace and think about where division meaning tense relationships, not speaking to each other. I've been so hurt by you. I'm out of here. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's like one of the very first places the enemy goes after is trying to destroy our relationships. And so I think as followers of Jesus, there's a there's a phrase that we like to use is ministering in the opposite spirit, ministering in the opposite spirit. So what I mean by that is um, in Proverbs, it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Like when someone comes on onto you, gets in your grill and they're yelling at you, respond more gently and softly and it kind of shuts it down. And so it's it's learning to respond in an opposite way that allows God to enter into that situation. So let, let's say it's a relational issue and this person is just kind of talking behind your back mm-hmm. negatively about you to coworkers. Like one of the things you can do when you find that out, instead of getting all riled up about it and starting obviously to respond in kind, is look for ways that you can affirm them. And without them even knowing that you know, just you know, say, hey, dude, I just wanted to tell you the way that you packed that thing and shipped it and you got it there several days early. I heard back from that company. They were amazed. Man, great job. Like that just blows somebody's mind and it shuts down an attack that the enemy was trying to bring to divide coworkers. Does that make sense? Yeah, looking for ways to affirm coworkers, I think is really good. Looking for ways to honor your superior, walking yep. away from or actually just not participating when when some group is gossiping. Um, Big time. Um, I, addressing, I mean, when you hear the accuser, like, right? <laughs> when you when you hear the accuser um, in your in your midst, like, actually like address it say you know that that accusation feels really divisive like or that's yeah. that's kind of the the negative side um of we want to be people who collaborate we don't really want to be in direct competition with each other you know here we want to be working together um i'm you know i'm really seeking to be a person 
um, promoting the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. You can say that. Yeah. People don't have to know it comes from the Bible. Like, right? Right. <laughs> right. So exactly. when we... When we come back, um, I want I want you to just share the the positive power of living a godly life. Like, there's just really positive power in just being mm-hmm. a person of peace and and beauty and truth in the midst of our work environment. In terms of um, defeating the enemy's efforts, we're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I will trust where you lead. I will trust when I can't see. Morning by morning, great is your Picking up where we left off in our conversation with Dave Buring from Lion's Share, we're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace. All right, Dave. So talk about, you know, the we- just the weapon of living a godly life. I think it's been underrated. You know, I, I think we we forget that one of the most important things that we can do is just living a godly life. Not, you know, like I'd rather see someone quietly, steadily, faithfully live a godly life than wearing some kind of hat or T-shirt to work that proclaims Jesus. Because again, and I know you and I have talked about this before. It's not, you know, practice what you preach. It's you have the authority to actually preach what you've been practicing. And especially in in the workplace, uh, living a godly life. Think of things like integrity. Think of things like attitudes that are consistently good. Think of things like watching the words that come out of your mouth. You know, think of things like actually looking, like purposely looking to serve your fellow employees or your boss, or if it's if you're the boss, your employees, like where you get out there and you jump into situations that they maybe don't see bosses normally jump into. See, it's those kinds of things. In other words, Carmen, the way that I look at it is live your life in such a way that as we often say here in the South, I want to get me some of that, you know, that people see it and it's real, it's genuine, it's not loaded with Jesus language, it's just lived. And that alone can be an act of spiritual warfare in the workplace. Um, You've already referred us to Ephesians chapter 6 and, you know, actually like armoring up. And there are some people listening, Dave, who like before they get out of their car and go into work, they probably need to walk through Ephesians chapter 6 and um, and not only guard their heart, but guard their mind and, um, you know, and really like really strengthen themselves because they know they're walking into a particularly hostile environment. Um, but I'd love to spend a little time talking about intercessory prayer. That is a um, that is that tends to be for some people a very very difficult thing to do in relationship to our places of work and our coworkers. And then for other people, um, it is their go to. But sometimes it's weird. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And so so let's just talk about this. So intercessory prayer is that there's a scripture in Ezekiel 22 that talks about someone standing in the gap. In other words, you're standing between, you know, heaven, hell, and there's your workplace. And you're standing in the gap between those two realities. And it's praying in such a way that you're asking God to move in their midst. Uh, I, I have friends that um, they would tell you that for years what they've done is they get into work early and they just prayer walk around the facility. Nobody kind of knows if somebody, you know, sees them and say, yeah, just out for a walk. But they're praying. They're praying over their workspace. They're praying over and they so they're not making a scene. Nobody else is there. But it's it's one of the ways that they do it is they just pray over, it, especially if they realize there's just something yucky going on here that we just need to pray over. Um, I think another thing is like imagine if and I'm making up numbers here just because this matches. Let's just say you had seven people on your team or seven people you work with. Just get them on some kind of a schedule that that Monday is Susie, Tuesday is Charlie, Wednesday is Freddie, where you just know. And whether it's on your way to work, you shut off sports radio. Don't turn Carmen off, but you shut off sports radio and you're praying. Or it could just be that morning as you're, you know, getting dressed. That's your rhythm of prayer. But but I, I got to promise you something. When you start praying for those you work with, stuff happens. And you'll be able to connect the dots. Like when someone is just blessed with something that they never expected, and you didn't know that was coming either, but you will be able to, to look there and go, God, I see you. I see you are answering that prayer. So I think those are a couple of practical ways that you can you know, deal with prayer here. And I'll throw one more out on this, Carmen. If you're a leader in your company and there's just stuff happening on the job, I know you've maybe never connected these two things before, but consider fasting. Like like yeah. say, okay, I'm going to fast breakfast on Thursday mornings for the next month while we our company's making these big decisions. And you just fast uh, your breakfast and you pray for the the company, you pray for the relationships, you pray for the opportunities to discern what God's saying. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things in there that you can do to exercise authority in prayer. Um, breakfast is an in interesting one to um, to use since, um, you know, it is the break of the fast. Like, I, yeah. it's good. It's good because it ex extends that experience. Um, I think the scriptures as a useful weapon um, maybe mm -hmm. seems maybe seems obvious. Um, but talk with us about the name and the blood of Jesus. There may be people listening who come out of um, particular church experiences or backgrounds where these are just not things that uh, we talk very much about. Right. So right. what right. what does it what does it mean? And how do I practically use the name and the blood of Jesus when I'm talking about spiritual warfare? Yeah. So I grew up in a church heritage where that that was certainly the case. It was never talked about, didn't really understand it. And then when I got into the missionary world of my life, some of those things became real to me. So the Bible talks about how like Jesus at one point, he had his 12 disciples, but there was a kind of a broader group of 70 or 72. And at one point in the scriptures, he sends them out and he has them begin to um, go out and share ab about who Jesus is and that kind of thing. And he gave them authority over the demonic realm by using his name. It's kind of like how, um, you know, if, if Carmen or I are driving up uh, the street and there's a guy standing in the middle of the road, and he's got his hand extended towards us with his palm up. 
and we see he's got a badge on, he actually has delegated authority to stop us. And it's the same kind of thing. The name of Jesus, we see Peter uh, and other disciples in the book of Acts, where they use the name of Jesus, and there's an authority with that. It's not something to be just tossed around lightly, but when we need to exercise it, you need to realize that as a child of God, you have the name of Jesus that has all authority. Um, when we talk about the blood of Jesus, I just want you to attach that to the cross, that because Jesus shed his blood for us, it's there's an authority there. And so in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says they triumphed over him. You're talking about the devil there. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb. All right. So Jesus was the lamb of God who died on the cross for us. And there is a there's an authority when we do that, like Carmen, on a practical way, when, when our kids were little and they were heading off to school, one of the things that Cheryl and I would pray over them was, Lord, we apply the blood of Jesus over their lives today as they leave this place, that you would watch over them, that you would protect them. And it kind of gives the imagery there in, you know, in Exodus of the, the blood posted over the doorpost, you know. And so um, that's a little bit on the name and the blood that I think we can do that is practical for us. We're talking with Dave Buring. We're talking about spiritual warfare in the workplace, and we're putting some weapons in your hands today to win the uh, the war at work. You can find what we're talking about at lionshare.org. One of my favorite um, weapons that you talk about, Dave, um, is the weapon of worship or the weapon of singing praises to God. Um, you know, having having praise music uh, playing in my cubicle or in my office is a powerful testimony. My mm. my singing and trusting God is um, is a testimony as well, and it's a powerful yeah. weapon. What what it is happening? Really is. What is happening when I'm singing or broadcasting music that declares praise to God? Like what what's happening in the spiritual realm? Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing we have to look at because we can just get caught right in the man. I really like this tune, or man, the words mm-hmm. of this song are awesome, and that's all true. But we have to also realize that in the spiritual realm, like praise and worship is going on constantly in heaven. Like it, it doesn't just kind of start when we die and now we're in heaven and it's going on now. Like there is an angelic chorus going on. There is worship to Jesus going on. And, and it's not like our Sunday services where, okay, now's the time to worship and now's the time we stop. It's it's responsive. In other words, when they see some new attribute of who God is, they can't help but break out and respond in worship. One day we will be a part of that. But as we worship, we join into that heavenly atmosphere and it begins to impact us. Like I know for me, Carmen, worship is one of my go-tos. When I feel stuck, when I'm not clear on what I need to do, I will worship. And sometimes that means putting my headsets on. I have I have a, three playlists on my iPhone, one that is um, worship intimacy, one that is worship celebration, and one that is worship warfare. And there, and there's about 15 to 20 songs attached to each one. And depending on where I'm at on that day and what's going on, I will go there and I will just spend time worshiping until my heart gets to that right place where it needs to be. And so um, when we worship, we're entering into something that's already happening today, live, now in heaven. And we let the spillage of the fruit of that begin to fall on us. Mm, That's so good. 
Dave, as always, that's so good. All right, guys, that's Dave Buring. You can find more um, of this kind of resourcing at lionshare.org. Dave, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. You too. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Um, Paul is playing that music because today is like astronomical, yeah. astronomical, astronomical right spring. One? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. astronomical spring. There's other kinds of spring. It doesn't feel like spring outside, quite possibly where you are. It doesn't feel like spring outside where I am today. Uh, so, but it is astronomical spring. Um, San Jose Sharks goaltender James Reimer. And you're saying to yourself, got no idea what game do the San Jose Sharks play? They play hockey. The San Jose Sharks um, had one of those, you know, pride weeks or pride nights. And so, uh, like other teams in the National Hockey League, they uh, had a pride skate prior to the game. And James Reimer, who is a very, uh, I mean, I'll just go ahead and say outspoken, vibrant Christian um, and has been for a long time and everybody knows it, um, he declined to participate um, in that And so here is his statement related to it. For all 13 years of my NHL career, I've been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my daily life. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for my sins and in response asks me to love everyone and to follow him. In this specific instance, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe that every person has value and worth and the LGBTQIA plus community, like all others, should be welcomed in all aspects of the game of hockey. As you can imagine, um, James Reimer has received pushback, backlash, all kinds of nastiness, um, spiritual warfare in his workplace. Uh, and here's what I anticipate uh, how he will respond. He will keep playing hockey, and he will keep being a Christian in all aspects of his life, including um, on you know his particular field of play. So let's be upholding one another in prayer. Um, Reimer's job is you know on the ice, and he uh, is going to take shots on and off the ice related to um, this particular act. Um, he's taken a stand for the truth. He has suffered the blowback because of it. Um, and, um, I just think that it's important to recognize we got a brother out there who is, uh, who's, who's standing up in his particular workplace against the particular brand of spiritual warfare he's experiencing there. So let's be encouraging one another today in the midst of, um, the particular darkness in which we happen to live. Let me ask this. Does the first amendment Does the First Amendment of the Constitution here in the United States of America, does the First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion prevent you from having to submit to an ever-increasing range of employer mandates advocating for the sexual revolution? I mean, that's really the question. Um, Can the hockey team force Reimer to wear the jersey? What if the question wasn't wearing a jersey but participating in a training designed to get you to, well, think differently 
We're going to ask Dr. Adam Carrington next about a New York employee who's been fired for skipping a training section t- session and doing so on religious grounds. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Adam Carrington is joining us now from Hillsdale College. You can follow him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I am well. How about you? Doing well. We just had spring break at, at my institution and spent a lot of it grading to try to catch up, but looking forward to hitting what will be kind of a long, long but but uh, for the uh, for the students, especially the seniors, they're going to be graduating in about six weeks. Um, do they get like grades like A, B, C, D, uh, F? Do they get numerical grades like percentages? Do they get uh, graded on some other scale? Well, it's up to us as uh, professors, but I have a num- numerical that then translates into a grade on the on the on the card or whatever. You, and now they just get it all online. But yeah, so they get an A, B, C, D, F. But uh, I base it on numerical grades. They have a more precise idea of exactly where they stand and where where they're going. So, yep, I've been doing a lot of that with papers and exams this this, this past week. And thankfully, they're you know I've got really good students here. Uh, They're really fun to work with. Uh, I don't know if they always get the grade they want, but uh, I'm sure they don't. (laughs) But uh, it's 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 kind of fun when I'm grading uh, to see. What have they learned? What have they picked up in class? Uh, what can I maybe do better next time to to do so? So that was a lot of this last week that I was concentrating on. Mm, so good. All right, we should talk about um, we should talk about that some other time. Like actually set uh, set a time to talk about like how it is that we're scored and graded and and what that's measuring and like what you measure matters. So that might be an interesting conversation in the future. I know that's not what we're planning to talk about today. So (laughs) I Um, I love talking about that stuff though. So I mean, uh, right. uh, I know me too. Yeah, me too. Okay. So remind us um, about the Obergefell ruling of the Supreme court, because this goes back a number of years ago, but we, we need to remember the Obergefell ruling in order that we can have a conversation about whether or not um, as an employee, you can be fired for skipping some sort of LGBTQIA plus training course that your employer now requires. So Obergefell is the huge case from 2015 that said that the Constitution requires states to recognize marriages of persons of the same sex, so basically same-sex marriages, on an equal term with heterosexual marriages. And one of the sub-debates that went on in that 5-4 decision was the majority assuring everyone that people with religious disagreements would still have protection of their religious liberty in their in the public sphere. And the dissents, uh, Justice Thomas was one that was particularly uh, worried about this, saying, I'm not so sure that the logic of this doesn't really say for sure how much protections people are going to get who don't agree with this and don't agree for deeply held religious reasons in particular. And so what we are slowly doing is working out post-Obergefell, I mean, we're now almost eight years out, 
what it looks like to still respect religious liberty as protected in the First Amendment, as protected in a number of civil rights laws that are on the books with this uh, still ra- rather new right to uh, a same-sex marriage. And so that's where some of the things that we're talking about, about employment, uh, about what you can and can't do in your employment, who you serve in uh, in in your own business that's been coming up and is up before the Supreme Court now. All of those are trying to not really question Obergefell, but say, what's the status of really Christians, Muslims, other religious persons whose beliefs don't comport with that decision and want to still live lives in the public sphere, live lives in their businesses and their in their in their uh, in, in their the way they interact with others that are in line with their own beliefs. So that's the background. Um, and what's the specific um, situation for this one particular uh, person who's been fired in New York? So there was a man who works for the Boards of Cooperative Educational Services. That's a organization that was created in the 1940s by the state of New York that basically um, helps with the public school system in in the state of New York. And so he is a public employee. And this, I think, makes the case a little clearer than maybe some other instances. And he was fired for skipping a training for uh, LGBT uh, uh, sensitivity or non-discrimination on religious grounds because of his religious beliefs and was fired for that and has now sued to try to say that uh, forcing him to engage in that uh, training was a violation of his religious beliefs and he should be able to have really what is an exemption. The idea is not so much that these trainings shouldn't happen, but that for those with deeply held religious beliefs, he should have an exemption. And one thing that's going to be interesting is he's so far lost on at the lower courts, I think he's going to have a much more a ready audience or willing audience or at least favorable audience at the Supreme Court than the Second Circuit where he he brought up the case originally. But uh, the question is going to be, what what do you do? Um, yeah, what, what do you do in a situation like this? How far does religious protections go? And I think as uh, this would be a kind of case to, to, to take on those grounds to see, you know, how far are we? Are, are these religious protections going going to going to last? So that that that's the that's the basic case that's going on here that I think is going to be uh, a, a nice tandem with uh, three hundred three uh, Creative LLC Creative, which is the case that the Supreme Court's already hearing about of uh, a photographer not wanting to do same sex weddings. That's a private business. Uh, this is a public employee. Uh, all these cases together are really going to start to work out. What does the future look like for Christians in the public sphere? All right. We want to talk um, for a moment here in just a moment, Adam, about medication abortion in the United States and access to it. So let me just remind everybody that in June of last year, so June 24th, 2022, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled on the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health um, case and it overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. And states can now, therefore, set their own policies banning abortion um, or protecting abortion, providing poor abortion. Like they can make their own rules 
related to abortion. And so it's created a new focus on what's called medication or pharmaceutical or chemical abortion as an option. And as of 2021, more than half of the abortions in the United States were already um, medic, uh, these uh, medication or chemical abortions. And so you're going to see a lot of conversation at the state level about um blocking access to these abortion pills. And when we come back, um, Adam's going to read us in on this. Um, recent law- lawsuits that could uh, affect access to these abortion pills um, and something specifically that has happened in North Dakota. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Here comes the sun. Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College is joining us today. Adam, why don't you read us in on what's happening across the country in terms of lawsuits related to access to abortion pills, and then tell us specifically what's happening in North Dakota. Right. As you were saying that there is uh, at least half of most abortions now occur using a pill or series of pills. And so what is the status of those given that Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey have been overturned. And it this kind of parallels what I was saying about Obergefell, that we're it created a kind of brave new world related to marriage. This uh, uh, Dobbs has created a brave new world related to abortion and what can and can't be regulated where and how. And while the courts in Dobbs, well, the court in Dobbs said, that basically we're getting out of the abortion regulation business as far as what can and can't be done on particular regulations of abortion. The What, what this brings up, uh, the medical abortions, is the federalism question. <laughs> that uh, <clears throat> Pardon me. And the federalism question meaning that regulation of abortion, some of it is going to be left to the states. In fact, a lot of it. But some of it might still be left to the national government, and there's no not many rules about how exactly they're supposed to do that. Uh, who gets to draw the line where is going to be important. And so where, where this comes up is um, the, 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 the federal government is given the power to regulate interstate activity, activity that crosses state lines, whereas the states are supposed to regulate activity within their own state. And the thing with these abortion pills is they're kind of a national industry. Unlike a local abortion provider, these are being shipped to like CVS or other places that are uh, interstate national uh, corporations that are working across state lines. So to what degree is regulating the abortion pill because of that left to the national government versus the state governments? And generally, it is left to the national government, except that states are allowed to make regulations for the health and safety of the people within their borders in relation to stuff that crosses into their border across state lines. So the real question, I mean, there's other lawsuits that I don't think are going to go very far other either way. The real debate here is actually not going to be abortion good or bad. It's going to be who gets to regulate abortion pills, given that they're in some ways sold locally, but distributed nationally. Is it the national government that can ban it or permit it? Or is it the state governments that should be allowed to ban it and permit it? 
and I was talking off air with Paul about this real real quick. There is a case that has nothing to do with abortion coming out this year that might say something to how the court might rule on this. And it's about livestock and the rules for livestock and uh, that are being slaughtered and sold in California. Um, and it is uh, uh, and, and the question in that case, when it comes out, probably not till late spring or June, is to what degree can states um, make particular local regulations that affect the interstate market in something? And I think how the court, how much leeway the court gives the states to regulate is going to say a lot about what they might say about the abortion pill. To what degree can states regulate the abor- abortion pills, even if they're affecting the interstate market? So one thing to keep in mind is not so much what you think about abortion, even though that obviously matters, but who in federalism do you think should be regulating certain things? That's going to be part of the debate, and I think that's going to be the essence of the legal debate here. I think that this will lead us to a conversation about how many of these um, abortion drugs come across our international borders as well. So this is going to, um, you know, this this will quickly become a, a conversation about access to pharmaceuticals internationally as well. It's um, it's a it's fascinating development. Um, I'd love for you to, um, well, let me just read, let me read people in on this because I just read this this morning. Governor Mark Gordon in Wyoming signed a bill on Friday that bans access to these abortion pills that we're talking about. The new law claims um, that it will be, quote, unlawful to prescribe, dispense, distribute, sell, or use any drug for the purpose of procuring or performing an abortion. Uh, and so that is happening in Wyoming. North Dakota um, has a, a a block as well on the distribution um, of abortion pills, pills that produce an abortion. But as people note, they can just you know drive right across the Minnesota border border, and there's no barrier whatsoever to any kind of form of abortion in Minnesota at any um, stage of of development. And so. You know, part of this is, okay. if it's illegal to bring the drugs across the border, is it illegal for the woman to go across the border and get an abortion in a neighboring state like this is I think there's going to be I mean, interstate commerce is what it is. And so abortion is is an industry in some states and they make a lot of money doing it. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of conversation to have here. Um, Adam, when you think about the 2024 um, election cycle, this is obviously going to be one of the culture conversations that we're having, um, maybe frame for us how, particularly on the Republican side of things, um, you know, what kind of challenge do you think that, you know, candidates who put themselves forward in in the GOP, um, you know, they're going to be expected to take pro-life positions. Um, let's imagine for a moment how they might navigate that. Yeah, and and this is something where they're going to have to be more specific before basically everyone ran on overturning Roe v. Wade ah. and in, in running to overturn Roe v. Wade, they sort of were able to just leave the rest uh, unspecific. And now they're actually going to have to say, no, it's in our court and we're going to have to actually say something. And I think what they're going to have to do is um, they're going to have to ask, what is the most that can be done at the current moment as far as pro-life legislation? And what needs to be argued for, but maybe not legislated yet. So where are people? And I think 
at the state level, that's going to vary widely. I think there are places that bans on abortion up to the moment of consent, back to the moment of conception are going to work uh, at other places where people are going to need to be persuaded. And maybe you can't quite get there yet, but you need to be uh, talking about a culture of life. So I think that's one thing that they have to be keeping in mind. Uh, I think the other thing is um, being willing to go on offense and offense means showing the extremity of the other side that the, the that really the the definition of being pro-choice now isn't safe, legal and rare like it was in the 90s with Bill Clinton. It is um, safe, legal and all the time <laughs> up to even the moment of conception, like the laws and now in California, New York and Virginia uh, show. So I think going on the offense and showing the extremity of, of that uh, and then I think integrating and I, there are people already doing this integrating it into a broader culture of life and family and therefore what can we do to provide for families that um, are, are uh, that 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 are welcoming children or women who are in crisis pregnancies there's already many many crisis pregnancy centers are there things with uh governmentally that can be done as far as uh, tax credits or providing for for child care or providing for uh, health care related to birth can abortion be integrated even more into a pro-family uh, uh, legislation itself. And I think those are the kind of things where legislatively it needs to be done. And then rhetorically, we just need to constantly be pitching a culture of life, a welcoming of life, and realize that we now need to stop just trying to persuade judges. We need to ask what it means to persuade uh, our fellow citizens in a way that we just haven't had to up to this point. Yeah, I think it's a conversation about values. I think that, uh, a platform that seeks to educate the population um, of you know what is life, um, what is liberty, what is the pursuit of happiness, what does it mean to value the family? I mean, we say as a as a nation that we value family actually as the highest value above everything else. Um, so, what does that mean? Like, who who is family? How do we value family? And how do we um, value each person and every person, regardless of age, stage, or variable ability? Like, it, it's going to be. It's going to be a challenge. Um, all right. We, um, we're out of time. Adam, as always, thank you so much. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. We, uh, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to do international headlines, and then we're going to talk about accountability. What is accountability, and to whom are you accountable? Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.